Buenas, buenas, hermanos y hermanas. Bienvenidos al podcast de Jack Laferty. Es free, we talk, yes, yes. Sí, 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 es gratis, sí, sí. sí. I spoke to Dr. Daniel Higby today. I met him a long time ago when I was in Cuba and we have kept in touch and been good friends ever since. He currently works in a hospital two hours from London. I asked him plenty of corona-related questions, such as when will we have a vaccine, what medicines are being tested, how long do you think this will go on for, and so on. He was kind enough to answer all my questions, and he gave me a lot of good and useful information. So here is the podcast with Daniel Higby. Jack Laferty! How are you? Yeah, very well. I mean, I, I actually don't mind. The thing is, I'm not that isolated because I still go to work. And Matt, my partner, he's a deputy head teacher. And so the schools are staying open for the children of key workers. And so he's still going into work, even though technically it would be the Easter holidays. So actually, for us, we still get out the house we still see people I mean it's all quite sort of distanced it's it's all fine really I think the only thing that's a bit of a shame and that people find difficult is we had a a really really wet winter we had loads of flooding and all this sort of thing and it's turned into the most amazing spring it's so warm and sunny and so to be trapped indoors at weekends is, is it's very, very difficult. You know, all you want to do is just go for a walk in the countryside and actually you can't, so... So you're not allowed to take walks either? You're allowed to leave for one exercise a day, but it's, it is meant to be in your local area. So you're not meant to get in the car and drive to like a national park or a spot or something. Because the, the problem is, is that there's, well, there's some mountains in Wales called Snowdonia and their busiest day ever recorded uh, for tourists was the first day of the lockdown because everyone was like oh it's lovely weather no one's working and of course everyone goes to exactly the same place so you are allowed to leave the house but it's pretty limited and you know we live in a city it's it's not that big it's 400,000 people 500,000 people but you know so there are plenty of parks but it's it's not quite the same because there's lots of other people going for a jog or a cycle or taking a dog for a walk but you have to sort of all stay apart and yeah, so it's, it's, it's not ideal. Wow, I mean, things have changed because from the beginning you were heading for a different tactic, right? The yes, yeah, you're quite right. <laughs> we had herd immunity. Exactly, yeah. The plan was to get sort of just enough people having it um, so that it then didn't spread too rampantly. But I think just projected increase in cases went up so much. To, uh, I think that wasn't that we only had that for a few, maybe a week, I would say. I mean, maybe we achieved it. Maybe we got to the point they were always going to shut down. It's just we reached that point a lot quicker than everyone expected. I'm not entirely sure what happened, but, but, the, but there's certainly there's been a big change of tactic now. And so now it's all about the lockdown. But, um, but hindsight, should you have closed down earlier? I think only time will tell. I, th I think the problem is in the UK, not a unique problem. We've been extremely hampered by testing. So the only people that are getting tested are people that are 
unwell enough to end up in hospital, or people like, say, the Prime Minister himself or the Prince of Wales. And so I think it's it's hard to know how much spread there is in the community. We can only assess it by the number of people turning up at a hospital very unwell with it. And even then, there's a big delay. It takes about between two and five days for these tests to come back positive. Some of the patients have died before these tests have even come back positive. Five days? And, Yeah, I mean, some of these tests, they're flying to Germany and Germany are processing them for us. Really? I thought it was something yeah. very simple. It is a very simple test. That's the thing. It, and it's no different to the test that we do for, say, flu or anything like that. But the problem is we have a real shortage of some of the chemicals required to do the test. And of okay. course, every country in the world now is buying them up and we're just at the back of the queue. We don't really make them ourselves. Um, also, initially, the plan was that only one center in the UK was going to process all the results, which obviously is totally insane. And they got very, very overwhelmed. They just didn't realize how bad it was going to get. So they're changing that. They're opening up more labs. So, so lots of university labs now are going to be used for testing. And they want by the end of the month to be able to do 100,000 tests a day. Um, oh. but at the moment, it's probably, you know, a matter of hundreds a day or something like that. It's, it's a national scandal. It's what's on the front pages of all the newspapers every day. Whenever a politician is interviewed, the same question keeps getting asked, which is about testing. Because the other problem is, if you're a healthcare worker, and you live with someone who shows signs of COVID, you have to self-isolate for 14 days. So 20% of the healthcare workforce in the UK is not at work because they're isolating. And some of them won't have symptoms at all, or some of them may have symptoms, but it's not COVID, it's just some other cold, but they can't go to work, which is a, a big problem. Shit. And masks, it doesn't even work. I mean, if you have special masks. Uh, you mean people go into work wearing a mask? Yeah, exactly. But I I'm talking about the real kind of... I think it's just, too, it's just too high risk because these things have to come off. I mean, people have to drink water, they have to eat, you know, they'll take a break. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll get to that stage that they'll say to people, if you feel fine and you're self-isolating because of a relative, you wear a mask. But it would be difficult. The masks are designed to filter air coming in. They're not designed to filter air being expelled. I think that would be very difficult. So as I said, it's the big news story and it's the same news story every day and it's not going away. I mean, they're trying to develop this um, antibody test where they just get a prick of blood, like from the end of a finger or something. And then it tells you if you have had it in the past and therefore it's assumed that you may have some degree of immunity. And the government has ordered something like two million of these tests. They don't actually exist yet. We don't definitely know they even work, <laughs> you know, and they've paid for two million and they want them by the end of the month. So we'll see. I mean, there are huge leaps and bounds of science being made. It's times like this and like warfare, you know, that we make huge leaps in technological advancement. But, But did you say end of the month? That seems like yeah. it's still 28 days, 20, 27 days or something. Yeah, well, but as I said, for some reason they said by the end of the month, 100,000 tests a day. So okay. that, that's their target. But some of that target of 100,000 is with the blood tests. It's not just with the swabs. Oh, okay. Um, and these, as I say, they don't actually exist yet. You know, no one knows for sure they definitely work. And yet they've, assumed, they've ordered two million of them. I have a friend who's going to test it today. 
Oh, really? He's on Bali, but I don't know where the test coming from. He had a friend who was coming in to visit him from, um, I think it was Australia or was it Singapore? I can't remember. Uh, somewhere close yeah. to Bali. And uh, he was going to bring a bunch of tests. Yeah. I mean, he thinks he had it. Yeah. I mean, they're doing trials of it and there's lots of different companies making them around the world. So it, it will definitely happen. It's just a, a case of when. It's a little bit like a vaccine, you know, lots of different countries are testing vaccines, but when we'll actually have access, particularly on a big scale, to one that works is very hard to know. And so can I ask you something? If Let's say we uh, develop the vaccine mm. and we don't really, we try it on some people yeah. and they get the virus. Can the virus mutate? I mean, are there dangers yeah. with, the, with the vaccines? Um. So I think studies so far have shown that um, the coronavirus isn't mutating that much. So there are two different strains, but one strain is the one that's going global and one was seen predominantly in China and hasn't spread that much. But although the virus does change every time it moves to a different person, so you can track it, it's not changing to such a degree that they think it would interfere with the vaccine. Hopefully that shouldn't be a problem, but obviously the more people it infects, the more times it mutates and the more chance there is that it could mutate into different strains or one that wouldn't be so susceptible to the vaccine. But the thing is, is that the vaccine wouldn't have to give 100% cover. You know, if it, if it did mutate, as long as there was still some cover provided, it could still have huge benefit. If you think about the flu vaccine for the influenza, I mean, the influenza virus changes every single year and the flu vaccine probably only gives cover of a few percent. But if you put that, so to an individual, it's unlikely to make a difference. But at a population level, if you vaccinate tens of millions of people, as they do for flu every year, and 2% get cover, then that's far fewer infections, but also more importantly, it's far fewer infections transmitted. Ah, because you then develop a degree of herd immunity, and so it sort of slows the spread. So even if it wasn't a perfect vaccine, or even if it was a perfect vaccine, but the virus mutated, as long as it still provided a reasonable amount of cover, it could still be a real game changer. As to whether it would mutate as a consequence of the vaccine, I think that's very difficult to know until you apply that evolutionary pressure on it. That doesn't happen so much. So in general, pathogens don't mutate a huge amount in response to vaccines. They can do. There's a bug called pneumococcus, which causes pneumonia. And the thoughts are that that has actually mutated in response to the vaccine. But we still use the vaccine. It still works quite well. It's just that different types of different subtypes are around as well. So even if they came out with a vaccine that they said, oh, this works in 10% of people, that would actually be really amazing and, and, make, and make a very big difference. But obviously, if they came out with one that worked in 90% or 95%, then that would be very amazing. But of course, the problem is there are 7 billion people that are going to want that vaccine. So how you make it and distribute it, you know, is going to be very difficult to know. I mean, they'll start off by giving it to healthcare professionals and um, people with long-term health conditions. But when would you take it? When would you feel safe to take it? When Not would like I take it? 
Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be the first one to take it, right? You would want no, some... I, I, no, no, no. I mean, people, they pay people thousands of pounds to take part in the... So there are different stages of trials. So the first stage is you give it to animals and check that, you know, all the, all the monkeys don't die. And then the next stage is you give it to humans, not to see if it works, but to check it doesn't have any sort of significant problems like side effects. And they've already doing trials of that. And you get paid thousands of pounds to take part in those trials. And then the stage after that is giving it to humans to check if it works. I mean, I'm not that interested in having it at any stage of trial because if I were to get coronavirus, it's very unlikely I'd be that unwell. And in general, the immunity you get from having a disease is greater than the immunity you get from a vaccine for the disease. Um, so in some ways, it'd be better if I just got it, recovered, and then carried on. Yeah, because that's uh, another thing I was going to ask you. I'm thinking about just taking the virus <laughs> and be done with it. I'm so sick of it. Have a coronavirus party like with chicken pox. Just go around spitting at each other, yeah. Imagine that. 100 people who haven't got the virus yet and then one people just infecting everyone. 100 people staying yeah. at home for two weeks. Staring toothbrushes. I think it's, it would be difficult to do that at the moment. I think not, I mean, I don't know what the situation's like in Sweden, but as I say, the only people that know they've had coronavirus are the people that have gone into hospital. So you'd, you'd have to break into hospital in order to access these people. And I'm sure they wouldn't agree. And, and honestly, getting into the hospital I work in at the moment is like getting into a very exclusive nightclub. Like at all the entrances, the security guards have set up barriers and act as bouncers, and they won't let you in unless you have an ID badge saying you work there or you have an appointment letter. You're not allowed to visit. If your relative goes into hospital, you can't visit. Wow. And so how about medicine? I heard about the malaria medicine, uh, what's it called? Yeah, chloroquine and also another derivative called hydroxychloroquine, which is actually generally used for rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, we're trialing it at the moment. We're actually trialing it at the hospital I work at. So they're already recruiting patients to two trials. So they, the trials have multiple arms. So they're using chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. They're also using an antiviral that was developed for Ebola. Uh, but it was never quite effective enough to be used for Ebola. And they're using an HIV medication, an antiretroviral, which is actually two drugs combined in one. They're also using low-dose steroids, and they're also using something called interferon. We'll see. I think it will be... It, I mean, there, these trials are happening all over the world. I think people are going to start reporting probably in the next you know, month or two. People are going to report quite early and quite quickly. So we'll see. The thing with the malaria medication is it's been shown, you know, there's this phrase in vivo is not the same as in vitro. So it's been shown to be effective at a sort of cellular level. Like if you get a Petri dish, put in some chloroquine, put in some virus, the virus doesn't replicate. But that doesn't necessarily mean in the human body if you put in the chloroquine, the virus won't be able to replicate. That's why we need the studies. So we'll, we'll just have to see. I mean, the good thing about it is that it's very cheap. There's already lots of it, but it would be very easy to make more of it. There are some side effects, but I mean, the people that thinks it will work, think that it'll work if either you take it preventatively or early in mild disease. These people on intensive care being ventilated it's very unlikely at that stage giving them chloroquine is going to make any difference. 
for them it's just the respirator will just keep them alive as yeah, long as possible and then oxygen yeah oxygen just conservative conservative management and just see if they get better really wow just another question maybe this is a stupid question let's say i spend time with someone who has a severe case of uh, covid-19 he's really yeah. sick mm. if i spend a lot of time with him compared to just uh, accidentally have a little bit of corona on my finger and accidentally put it in my eye Like, like when you get the corona that you have it and it doesn't matter how much how much the amount that you get or is it is it like you got it or you don't got it or is it like okay this little amount is is fixable or it doesn't it won't harm me that much so the amount does matter and this is why we quite early have seen healthcare deaths which is very very rare to see with say flu and if you look at at least in the UK the doctors that have died there've been people like ENT so ear nose and throat surgeons and anesthetists because they're right in the throat in the mouth of the very sick patients oh. getting a really high dose with each cough so healthcare workers are at increased risk compared to the general public because if you get a bigger dose then they think it will cause more of a problem which is interesting because that's not the same for other diseases i have to say i don't know a huge amount about viruses but certainly that's not true of say tuberculosis where if you inhale one tuberculosis bacteria uh compared to thousands it it doesn't really make any difference once um, you got it you got it yeah but certainly for coronavirus it is thought that if you get that bigger bigger viral load that bigger mm. dose then you you will have your well i wouldn't say you will but you are at an increased risk of a more severe disease mm. oh by the way uh the medicine they were we're talking about the hydro hydroxychloroquine exactly they say that it gives that it's not good for people with heart problems yes it's as slightly complicated so um it alters the way that the electrical current passes through your heart and there are other medications that can do that some people already have that because of genetics or because of damage to the heart and so it could cause people to have uh, some people to have cardiac arrests so not heart attacks which is where you know you get a blockage in the artery um a cut you know it'll be where the heart will go into an arrhythmia so the heart will suddenly start beating you know 280 times a minute which is completely impossible to maintain any kind of blood pressure so they'll just you know collapse and they'll need sort of you know they're like the shock treatment you know and that sort of thing so again that's something that would in most people wouldn't be a problem but in some vulnerable patient groups it could be a problem and some people that don't know they're at risk it could be a problem but it's it is it's relatively niche uh, you know i i don't think you'd start seeing vast numbers of of death so there 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 may be a few but most patients that would be a risk of that you could well know in advance or if you just do a quick ecg you know where you put the stickers on and measure the electricity of the heart that would tell you and you could even repeat it after they're on the medication so it'll be a problem for a a very small minority of people but okay so it's but it's, at least it sounds like like there's medicine on its way and maybe we're one well, we two three months yeah. away I mean that's optimistic. I mean we don't it, it all of the drugs we're testing may not work. That's why we're doing trials. 
Uh, we, ju we just don't know. I mean, we can hope. I, I mean, I certainly hope. And I think if it was things like the malaria medication, you know, that's good because there's already lots of it around and it's cheap. But we don't know. And it would, it would be hard to imagine that even if it were a good treatment, you'll still see people die of this, you know, because they'll end up taking it too late or there's no treatment that's 100% effective, really. It's just not how medicine works or totally devoid of side effects. But uh, yeah, we, we hope that one of these medications will work, but there is very much a blunderbust you know, people will just try anything. I mean, the, the things that they're trying, they're trying for a reason. You know, there are reasons to believe that chloroquine would work. There are reasons to believe that, you know, this HIV drug would work. We'll have to wait and see. They, they might not work or they might not work very well. So, so what do you think will happen in the future? When are things turning around and uh, where are we in uh, six months? I think it depends what your definition of turning around is and I think it depends where in the world you are I mean things have already turned around in China um, which was you know I mean they're still not back to normal things still aren't brilliant but they have more normality than we do in Europe I think in the case of the UK we're obviously in lockdown and I think even if the number of cases sort of peaks and then starts to come down without a lot more testing a lot more testing, it's going to be very difficult to end lockdown because really what we want to do is we want to move back to what we were doing before where a person will get symptoms, they get tested and then they isolate, but everyone else can carry on. But at the moment, we just don't have the test to do that. So if you stop the lockdown, inevitably the number of infections will rise again and then you'll need to go back into lockdown and you'll just be bouncing back and forth in and out of lockdown. If we have a lot, lot more testing, if we're able to, then we could do what South Korea does, where they have drive-through testing, and you can just take yourself there, get tested anytime you have a sniffle or a sneeze or a cough or a fever. I think, I think at the moment, we don't have a clear exit strategy. And I think that's part of the reason why the government was reluctant to go into lockdown, because there wasn't a clear exit. I think the last six months has told us, don't believe anyone that says they know what will happen in the next six months. You know, you can't, you'd, you'd be a fool. I would like to think that in six, in six months' time, I'm going to be pessimistic and say we don't have a vaccine. And actually, none of the treatments have proven to be that effective, but maybe one or two of them have a little bit of effect. But we will, what I think we will have done is our ability to test is going to have got a lot better. We'll get the results much quicker for both acute infection and to test if people have had it in the past and have immunity. I think that will be much better in six months. And I think that will allow us to be going back to work. But I still suspect there will be a huge damper on things like international travel and large congregations of people at, say, sports matches and, and things like that. Yeah. I mean, in Madrid, just a weekend before the lockdown, they had two football games One yeah, with, uh, I don't know, 60,000, and then they had a March, 120,000 people for yeah. National Women's it's Day. Insane. I, I don't know if you've read, but there's a, a state governor in America. I, I think it's Ohio, and he's been very praised because he, before they even had one confirmed case of COVID in that state, they were about to have this big sports meeting of like 80,000 people and he cancelled it because of coronavirus before they'd even had one case. 
Um, and their state has, has done very, very well so far at not having vast numbers of coronavirus. I and bet people hated him first. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they did, but I bet you know, he's <laughs> laughing now. Because if, yeah. if, if, if me in, in Bristol on the other side of the Atlantic is reading BBC News articles about him, you can just imagine what's going on in his state. He's yeah. probably thought of as like an angel or something. But it's difficult. And I, I mean, I think the, the economic impacts of this, which we haven't discussed, are, are going to be absolutely vast. And they will in themselves... Um, I, did, I mean, I don't know if you know, but in, in the UK, the 2008 financial crisis uh, seemed to cause a reduction in life expectancy of four months. And this is going to cause an even more significant one. You know, the number of people that will be out of work, you know, we're, we're going to be paying for this for a long time. I mean, these governments printing money and borrowing billions. I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, but even when this disease, even if, say, there is a vaccine and what have you, We'll be feeling the effects of this for years to come. I mean, the, they think that the joblessness rate in America may hit 15%, which is the same as the Great Depression before World War II. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. In Sweden, there's a lot of talk about what the economic side effects will be. I mean, I would say 80%, 90% of the news are about businesses going under and the economic situation. And it seems to be, I think... Because it's like this, they're saying we either choose the economy or we choose to lower the death rates. Yeah. And people are very much discussing, are choosing the lower death rate. And up until Monday, we had uh, 500 people could be together in a gathering. Oh, really? uh, all the bars are open, restaurants. Oh, right. Wow. Clubs last yeah, weekend. Actually, because I thought you were in quarantine because of your videos. I am in quarantine because I don't want to go out there and get it and and, uh, spread yeah. it and pass it on. But the uh, advice from the go- from the government is, unless you feel symptoms, you can still be out and live your life like normal. Yeah. Are you immunosuppressed at the moment? Are you taking anything for the crow? No. That- no. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good. At least I don't know. I read somewhere that it that the corona affects your intestines as well. It can do. I think about, it's less common. I think maybe 10% of people that have it report diarrhea, but it can affect anything. I mean, there have been cases of people getting encephalitis, so, you know, like a brain brain infection from, from coronavirus. It's rare. I mean, you know, most people it's fever and cough. And what's becoming increasingly recognized is loss of sense of taste. Yeah, and smell, right? Yeah, well, the, I mean, that always... So- you, you can't separate the two. If, if you lose your sense of smell, you'll lose your taste. Really? Because I have some friends, they don't have a sense of smell. Yeah, so, some I've always do. wondered, I was like, do they taste anything when they eat food? I mean, or do they enjoy less, dinners? Less than you. Le- less than people that can smell. Okay, because yeah. they say, no, we would probably have a, a better sense of taste because we don't have a sense of smell. I, that, sadly, I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> like how blind people have really good hearing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you don't need to disappointment. You can just say, yeah, God, I wish I could taste as well as you. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the kind of person, Daniel, I have to argue and I have to. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. But so your hospital isn't overwhelmed yet. No, no. So not, not at all, actually. So I'm in the Southwest. I mean, I say the Southwest. We're not a big country. I mean, it's an hour and 15 minutes on the train from London. But actually, in terms of coronavirus, it makes a big difference. 
Um, so the southwest generally is is quite quiet at the moment. So they, they are having cases come in. I think my hospital's maybe getting 10 cases a day, and they're certainly seeing deaths. They're also, some people are catching it in hospital, both healthcare workers and patient to patient. So it's not that it's not a problem, but it's certain, we're certainly not overwhelmed yet. And I think the prediction is that we will be. They're building, and you may have heard them building a temporary hospital in London. Yes, um, was it called 19... Nightingale. Yeah, Nightingale. They are going to build one in Bristol um, for about 400 beds at one of the universities. Um, so, you know, all the, all the planning is happening. It just hasn't all kicked off yet. I mean, Bath, which is another hospital I work in, which is slightly close to London, and it's um, 10 miles from where I live. Uh, yesterday, they were meant to implement all their plans where it's sort of all hands on deck, all the doctors, you know, form these massive teams and work together. And they've actually postponed it because they're like, actually, we, we don't need to. We, we haven't actually got that much coronavirus yet. Let's put it back till Monday. Um, I mean, my, hosp- my main hospital where I work, they're only planning on implementing this big change not this coming Monday, the Monday after, which I think is the 13th. And by then, we'll have been in lockdown for three weeks. I kind of think, I'm sure cases will go up, but I kind of wonder how much are gonna, cases going to go up after three weeks of lockdown. I mean, if, if cases go up a lot after three weeks of lockdown, then it makes Some, you think, God, what, what the fuck would have happened if we didn't? Or, you know, is it... I just... Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. But, I mean... China went from 80 cases to 80,000 in one month and then nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think they did a much more, I think they were lucky for a couple of reasons. I mean, most of their cases were just in one province. Now that province is massive and it's got the same population size as the, as the UK. Um, but, you know, it's a very authoritarian country. They locked it down massively, you know, and he sort of, one person per household could leave the house every few days. You know, they really, they did a kind of lockdown that I think would be very difficult to achieve in Europe. And so they really, they really benefited. And I think also they only, they had the the one source. They had the source in the seafood market. You know, whereas in the UK, for months, you'll have had the odd person flying in from say like China, Korea, Japan, then Italy, then Spain. Also, there'll all be different points of origin yeah. and people travel so much. So I think it's just a bit, of, it's a bit of a different situation. I think China, China has undoubtedly done very, very well, but I think it's, it's had some advantages and some disadvantages, but it's had some advantages. I mean, what I would like to know is what is it like in the hospital outside of Lombardy? Because all the news about Italy, it's all North Italy, it's all Lombardy. And even within Lombardy, it often focuses on quite a small portion of Lombardy. I mean, maybe, you know, what, what is it like in, say, Naples or Sicily or, or somewhere like that? I spoke to a friend in Rome yesterday and he said it was better than, the, than uh, in North. Yeah. He said that everything is uh, locked down. He spoke to, to a cousin who, uh, who was a doctor in Rome and he said they, they're choosing between lives now. Who to oh, treat? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, they all have to wear masks when they go to the store. But I think the Italian people are really getting together now more than ever because you know they've always had these rivalries between cities, between north and south, between uh, politicians. And for the first time in a long time, it seems like they're coming together. Mm. 
Yeah. Also in well, Sweden, actually, there's the politicians are, aren't fighting at all. Yeah. I mean, in the UK, well, we're about to transition to a new leader of the opposition. But you just don't hear anything about it at all. The, the opposition is, is essentially the, the media. You know, you, you, I, and it's just the front page and the headlines and that sort of thing. I've, I very rarely hear anything out of an, out of an opposition party. Um, so what are the headlines? Like, what's the news about... Because as I said, in Sweden, it's 90% the economic situation. Oh, see, in the, in the UK, it's 90% testing and also, like, thanking key workers. I'll probably be able to tell you what the headlines are, actually, because on BBC News, it often has an article where it just says, it sort of shows you pictures of all of the headlines. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, the economy, it, it definitely has been, been mentioned. Well, the top articles on BBC News are the Queen to address the UK as virus deaths rise. So that's very sweet. First coronavirus hospital opens in London. Nurse dies after contracting coronavirus. Stay at home plea as Easter holiday looms. PM says stays in isolation. Yeah, there's actually nothing here about uh some about the shops the shop shopping have you guys have people in sweden been um stockpiling a lot <laughs> toilet paper what's that yes. about just no, it's <laughs> a new goal, it's a new goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, super strange i don't know why yeah but but so the, the but the one thing that i don't get is it's like we say are we choosing the economy or are we choosing mm. to lower the death rate but it's not like there's, that's the two choices, because even if you have a lot of death rates, I mean, the, the economies will still suffer in different ways, and, and you, will be, you will be overwhelmed in the hospitals, and people won't be able to work. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like it's you're choosing... Li- it's, it's lives or lives, really. The thing is, you could, I mean, no one, no one knows what they're doing. This is unprecedented. And we'll, only, and we'll probably never know what the right thing to do is, because... Almost all the countries are behaving in the same way. You know, um, there's very few countries. Well, Sweden's a slight ex- exception, but that may change if the numbers of virus go up a lot. But you could just let the virus run rampant. You could just do that. You know, and most people will survive. You know, the, the death rate isn't massive. It'll be a bit of a genocide of older people. You will basically wipe out the over 80 population, which is actually a lot of people in, in developed countries now. But you could do that and it would burn out and everyone would have immunity or not. And it would probably be over in a few months. You, you, that, that, I mean, no one's doing it, but you could. The, the problem is... An awful lot of people will die. An awful lot of very vulnerable people will die who normally we try and protect. And also healthcare services will get totally overwhelmed. There'll be lots of help, far more healthcare workers dying. And also people will start dying of things they never died of before. So people will start dying of, say, appendicitis because they'll go into the hospital and they won't be able to have a general anaesthetic because everyone's on ventilators because of coronavirus. Or people will die in childbirth because all the, there aren't enough doctors and nurses there because they've all got coronavirus too and they're at home. So, you know, it's not just about the death rate of the coronavirus. It's, it's if, you, if it ran rampant, it was all the death rate of all the other things that you couldn't manage. I mean, the flip side is, is that the economy is very, you know, we really depend on the economy for our health. You know, there's, there's a reason why the poor co- people in poor countries don't live very long. 
you know, healthcare costs a lot of money and it has to be paid for. And also, if the economy is rubbish and no one has their jobs, um, then, you know, people end up on very unhealthy diets. You know, they, they get very confined in very bad housing. None of, the, none of the amenities get fixed or get, you know, all the public health campaigns can't be paid for. Um, everyone gets, you know, fat and depressed and takes up smoking and drinking, committing suicide and violence, and you don't have the police to police it. And so, you know, it, lives are lost both ways. Um, it's just finding, finding that balance. Yeah. Wow, scary times. Yeah. Could you even have imagined this three months ago if someone would told you that this is the situation we'll be in? Yeah. I, I, like yeah, a movie. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think three months ago, everyone would have thought, well, it's just a bit like the flu, even if, you know, it should be okay. And it's partly because of all of these things like lockdown and all these, econ- you know, it's partly all of that economic impact that I think people weren't necessarily considering. And why would they have considered it? It's massive, really. It's a, but this is like living through a war. You know, previous generations went through world wars. I think in the, this is going to happen again. You know, this will happen again. There's Shit. 7 billion people in the world. There's, you know, people are just eating more and more and more meat. They were living very closely with animals. I mean, think, think about the last 10 years. I mean, this has gone global, but we've had SARS. We've had MERS, Middle Eastern yeah. Respiratory We've had bird flu. We've had swine flu. We've had Ebola. You know, and all of these things are these sort of zoonotic infections. But uh, uh, people have only cared about diseases that traditionally affect rich people like dementia and just aging. You know, no, everyone in the West has forgotten about infectious diseases. Well, you know, this is an alarming reminder. And so we've had all these other ones. So it will, it will happen again. I mean, it's, it's COVID-19 because there are at least 18 other well-described coronaviruses, you know. So um, that's why it's called COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but okay. Yeah. I mean, SARS was, was a coronavirus. You know, MERS was a coronavirus. Some causes of the cold are, are coronavirus. I shouldn't be touching my face. So this will happen again, inevitably, um, but I hopefully will be much, much better prepared in, in, in future. But I think the thing is, is that we will have these massive global recessions now, but they hopefully won't be caused by war, but they'll be caused by pandemics and climate change. Yeah. Well, at least the climate change, this, yes. it has improved that situation a little bit. At no least. one has heard anything out of Greta in months. I know. She's, I think she planned the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Greta actually came to Bristol only a couple of months ago, amazingly. Skipped London and, ca- and came to Bristol. But uh-huh. um, yeah, I mean, that is one. And the thing is, like, it's not like, say, we do come out with a miracle vaccine all these flights are not going to resume the next day. We're not going to, it's going to take, as I said, you know, the economy is very hampered. And, you know, maybe this could be an opportunity to reset and be like, right, you know, as we build up again, let's focus on renewable power. Unfortunately, with someone like Trump inside, he'll be like, we need to get back as rich as possible, as quick as possible to start digging coal, you know. (sighs) And also, I think, you know, what really, we still don't yet know where this coronavirus came from. But, you know, it came from one of these wildlife markets. It definitely would have crossed to humans from an animal, whether it had something to do with the food being sold in the market or whether, say, a bat just flew overhead, did a shit, someone touched the shit and got the coronavirus. I don't know. But, you know, bird flu came from mass 
farming of birds, you know, swine flu, farming of pigs. And really, I think this is a, a very, along with climate change, this is a very good reason for people to decrease their meat consumption. You know, no one ever caught coronavirus from a fucking soybean, did they? Or from an ear of corn? No, they just got depressed from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. They just were left feeling unsatisfied. Yeah. <laughs> so where does Ebola come from? Ebola. Ebola, uh, bats. Those fucking bats. I mean, HIV came from primates, you know, and, and HIV probably, probably has existed in humans many times over the last few millennia. It's just that someone would get it in a very low densely populated country in a village in Africa, they and a few other people in the village would die of it. And then that would be it for another few hundred or thousand years. And then someone else would get it. And it's only when they built these motorways and people were moving around and these they were in larger numbers, you know, that it spread down. I mean, the HIV originally spread down East Africa following exactly the route of the motorway as truckers Shit. would go down visiting girlfriends or brothels or whatever, spreading it. And then someone got on a plane and they took it over to Haiti. And then someone got on a plane from Haiti and took it to New York and then to San Francisco and then it went global. You know, so um, this is not a new, a new phenomena, but because there are so many people and there's so many animals and we're so connected, it makes it very, very easy for these things to, to spread. Wow. Daniel, thank you so much. You, you gave us so much information and uh, it was so nice seeing you and talking to you again. Yes, yeah. it's lovely. Well, if you like, we can have another catch up in a, in a few weeks when I've actually got some clinical, if things really hot up. And I've yes, please, things. I would love it. Yeah. Let's hope the situation calms down a little bit. Yeah, I, it inevitably will. It's just a question of when and how easily we can get back to normal. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Stay wow. safe, stay well. And uh, yeah, until next time, which will be a lot sooner than our previous time. Tomorrow. Yes, yes. Okay. Have a great day. Bye.